Before we get into today's episode, I have something to share. I have so many first world problems. For example, this morning I wake up, it's winter, my car is parked outside. Why is it parked outside? Because I have so much crap in my garage, I can't get the car inside of the actual garage. And you know what? My butt cheeks were cold. And that's a great example of a first world problem that I have. But there is something else that I do have too, and that's access to first world healthcare. And most of the world doesn't have these kinds of problems, and much of the world doesn't have access to any healthcare. So please consider going to pih.org and donate to their cause. Welcome to Narrow Lanes, a show for marketers where we discuss how to always be on the offense, how to create exceptional value through a healthy mix of obsession, but also sacrifice. In this episode, I am speaking with Francesco De Flavis. He is a principal, chief advancement and communications officer with Partners in Health. And formerly, he was heading marketing at UNICEF USA. Partners in Health is an international nonprofit that provides healthcare services in the poorest areas of the developing world. Francesco shared with me one key philosophy. He believes that the only way for marketers to stay in a leadership role for not just one year or two years, but maybe five years and create lasting transformative value exactly because of that longer time frame is to be polyvalent. What is polyvalent? I had no idea what that meant before speaking to Francesco. He defines this as, as having both a broader and deeper level of proficiency within all areas of marketing. So for example, if I am a ad tech, martech expert, well, maybe I should lean more into how media is actually bought. Or if I'm someone who is creative, maybe I need to actually understand pixels. It's things like that. And he specifically leaned into his belief that given third-party cookie deprecation, it is first-party data that's the analog to generating higher ROAS in digital marketing. By the way, I see this every day. Yes, well-structured first-party data does in fact increase ROAS in media buying platform. So this really resonates with me. I see this happen all the time. I think all of us could be getting outside of our comfort zone way more often. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. From Delve Deeper, this is Narrow Lanes. Francesco, thank you so much for being here with me today. Welcome to Narrow Lanes. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I want to start with one question, hmm. and that is, what do marketers need to do more of today hmm. in order to be successful, in order to not just survive? Because I think sometimes when I think back to my role as head of marketing at Bath & Body Works, it felt like survival. Hmm. And one wants to thrive. Hmm. What do marketers have to do more of to thrive in their roles? I mean, that's kind of a mother of all questions, and I think it's very relevant. I think first and foremost, it depends 
the level we are talking about, right? So I tend obviously to focus my personal attention right now more on the C-suite level, the chief marketing officer. But obviously there's many levels in which you can get started, you know, get your, you know, um, your sea legs in terms of marketing. But eventually, you know, it's about where is the role of marketing within organizations and companies evolving to be in service of the, of the companies, which I think has changed tremendously. I mean, if you look at, first off, generationally speaking, I'm part of a generation that is old. I'm not old, but professionally speaking, I'm old because specifically I'm straggling the most important transformational aspect that has happened to organizations in general, but specifically affecting the marketing role, which is big data. So I started my career when big data was not a thing. You know, I remember, if you, here's the tell sign. If you remember your first internet connection, your modem, your dial-up, then you're probably on the way out in this job. I plan to stay as much as I can, but the realization that data and systems have revolutionized, destroyed and rebuilt the way marketers looked at their job. Over the past decade, almost 15 years, since I would say, if we want to attribute a, a date, would be 2005 that I look at when this big transformation really happened, big data. Um, there's been a lot of specialization, right? New thing, very important, very exciting proliferations of platforms and tech, MarTech, you know, really exploded, really centered around data. And so it is natural that folks that were looking into marketing as a career were looking into how do I get proficient quick? This, in, in my mind, has created an, an over-specialization in the marketing area, right? So, and it's not to say that you do not need to be a specialist in data. Obviously you do, you know. When it comes to return on advertising spend, when it comes to uh, reaching your acquisition targets, uh, when it comes to the mid-evolution of our profession, which was the experience revolution, you obviously are dependent on, on data. But there's a difference between being proficient and a critical skill set and make it a single lane. And I see a lot of folks right now that have occupied the space of mostly referred to as digital marketing, and now they find themselves in a point of their career where they don't have an outlet for that higher level C-suite. Because the traditional aspects of a good marketer are still very important, branding, um, content, uh, user analytics, right, that are not necessarily only dependent on data. These are all very, very important um, aspects, skill sets that you need to have if you had to step into a CMO role. So that's, I think, you know, they are, they, we need collectively to spend more time in becoming more rounded as marketers. Uh, and it's not like a substitution. Mm -hmm. It's this and that. Because the role of the CMO in itself very recently is also experiencing a shift. So it's a double whammy if you want, Greg, because you have the question whether current marketers are prepared and then the questions, are they prepared fast enough for the changes that are coming down the pike? But I think the challenge is that if I'm a marketing leader or an aspirational marketing leader, I'm almost hearing you say that I have to become more broader and deeper 
So I have to understand how my brand fits with the market, who my competitors are, mm. how culture is changing, how consumers are changing, channels are changing. By the way, I remember big data. I have to admit, I forgot that term. You remember when it was hot? Because it was hot and big. And now it's just there. It's just data. Yeah. And there is technology, by the way, measurement, mm -hmm. offline, online. I think online is obviously slowing as a curve. Mm -hmm. Both online and offline are important. So again, are we saying that for a marketer, marketing leader to be successful, they both need to continue to get broader in terms of the topics they can have a conversation about mm. and yet have some degree of expertise in all those topics. Correct. Seems a little paradoxical. I don't think it is if you try to do this intentionally. And first off, there's, you know, you mentioned something that I think we should, we should, we have discussed in the past and maybe we'll go back to that, is the chicken and the egg. You know, is data that brought the evolution of tech or is tech that brought the opportunity for data? Great question. And I do feel that you mentioned something that I, I forgot and you just reminded me. Um, when the obsession was not so much about big data, but was about the online business. 100%. And it, I, I started my career in my marketing career because I had other careers in, in retail, right? Or in manufacturing rather. Um, and it was clear that when we were looking here in New York City, the struggles of the federated department stores um, where the brick and mortar was every year was like, you know, like you're, is it dead yet? You know, and uh, the Amazon revolution, you know, the, the convenience, you know, highway. Um, we were looking year over year, 15, 20% increases in segments that themselves represented at the very least 15 to 20% of the total business. I'm saying this because what I was saying before that we over the time have over-specialized is because we were as, as, a, as a professional class reacting to the hot opportunity of the moment. We have now today an opportunity to, to look a little bit ahead and say, how is the industry changing? Not to be Kodak uh, waking up at the last minute and understanding that 35 millimeters is no longer relevant. Tell me if this makes sense to you. How I think about this is, I personally grew up as a hardcore digital performance marketer. Mm -hmm. And it's been a journey of over almost 25 years for me. And it is absolutely true that I have gone really deep into DAC, data tech, ad tech, martech, driving performance. But over time, I have absolutely realized that as my role is changing, I do have to become broader. And then maybe there are marketers who still deal with more aspirational aspects of marketing, mm. you know, brand marketing, and they desire to actually be, have more expertise in user experience, user journeys, right? Digital experiences. Uh, again, you talked about data be being behind all of that. Mm -hmm. If you were talking to the uh, hardcore performance marketer versus someone who's more about brand, if I can just sort of differentiate between these two, two mindsets, mm -hmm. how are they supposed to be both creative and analytical at the same time. Well, that is that is the challenge, you know. And I think 
you know, I refer to this type of term, uh, of this type of um, trajectory, so to speak, as at the very least being a polyvalent, you know, mm. type of expertise. And I think in, the, in, in over the years, we have discounted the value of the generalist, mainly because we attach a negative connotation. 100%. That the generalist is not an expert in anything. Yep. Which, in a to a degree, is absolutely correct. You know, you cannot be the absolute expert if your expertise has to span it's across. Master of nine, yeah, none, right? Exactly. On the other hand, though, I think there is a very distinct role for the person that has done those jobs. And perhaps, yes, is not the most important uh, expert in the field, but is a person that has firsthand knowledge and expertise. I do differentiate between experience and expertise. Um, if I come out of a fantastic training program, I might have the expertise, but I lack the experience, right? I like the failure, which I'm sure we're going to get to talk about that. And so I do feel that there is this mid space, to your point, where the drive should be, this is my opinion, try to um, like a game of pursuit, get uh, proficiency, not absolute expertise, but really experience-driven proficiency in some of the critical areas mm -hmm. and go deep and requires a different type of mindset, but also requires you to have the privilege and luck to be offered throughout your career the expertise to dive into, which usually comes with an what we call ambition, right? Which isn't really an appetite to learn and a curiosity to learn more about areas that mm -hmm. might not be f squarely fit in your lane. But that's sometimes scary. It's sometimes scary to, again, if you use the term big data or data, and I have not coded before, you know, maybe I can use Excel really well, but I don't fundamentally, as a marketer, understand the systems and how this data is captured. By the way, I mean, especially now with, with cookies going away, first party data is going to be a huge focus. How am I, as a marketer, to whom it's a little foreign and a little scary, all of a sudden embrace mm -hmm. this challenge and get outside of my comfort zone? What would you do? Well, I mean, that's why I made the distinctions about what, what levels of marketers we are talking to, right? Uh, I started my career, as I said, in product marketing, so manufacturing, and I was like a junior product manager. The The biggest task I was given at that time was just go to a store, you know, and just like write down the prices and the model numbers of the competitors. That was the big marketing assignment. But, you know, I have grown out of that role and into other roles because of my own curiosity and because the organizations actually gave me opportunities, which I'm very grateful for. But I've also was colleague with people that were product managers and they were like 55 years old. And they were like the best product managers, my mentors. And they didn't necessarily feel the need to grow into a different area. And that's fine. You know, we're always going to need specialists in any ensemble in an organization. You're going to need somebody who really knows what they're doing when you're talking about performance marketing, right? Because it's so fast changing. You need somebody who is absolutely laser focused on that. I'm referring to those people that feel the need to occupy higher, more strategic spots in the value chain of an organization. And the Uber specialization is not going to cut it anymore. 
And so I think I've seen people faking it until they make it. And frankly, a lot of people didn't make it because they didn't was it was not enough time for them to fake it until they make it, right? And so that's something that a distinction there. Um, it, it's, it has to be intentional. You and I talked before in our chats about uh, choices mm -hmm. and intentionality. Um, I do feel that is a mix of, again, having the luck of being offered opportunities, but also recognizing them, accepting them, taking the challenge, talking about scary leaps into uncomfortable zones. Mm -hmm. He also talks about um, choosing your next company based on what they can teach you, which is not very often the driver of how we make career decisions, especially um, in the mid-career space. So are we, for example, talking about going back to this easy example of data? If I am working for a brand that doesn't maybe value data or just simply isn't ready to embrace it, to make better decisions, are you, are you recommending that this marketer actively seeks an opportunity where their data skill set, user experience skill set, maybe it's mm. a branding skill set, mm. can be completed? It, every journey is different, right? It depends what your aspiration is, but I have been mentored and I try to imperfectly return the favor with a lot of people that work, you know, or they grew up within the teams that I have, you know, the privilege of managing. And it comes often uh, where my, my coaching comes to, what do you want to do? Um, because it's also um, a myth that we have to maintain a linear progression. Um, my wife was a teacher for 20 years and, uh, at, you know, I won't reveal the age, but like we're no longer spring chickens. And she said, I want to change careers. And she, mm. um, she did a totally diametrically opposed career. That takes lots of courage. It takes, you know, attributes, you know, um, to, to do that type of choice. But again, it's a choice. It's not, oh, it happened to me. And so I think we need to spend more time considering where we want to be and where is our value. Uh, best placed. So would it be fair to, to say that in order to thrive today over the next several years, one has to, especially if you're in a leadership marketing role, almost look at how rounded your skill set is. Maybe look at areas where there are some obvious huge gaps mm -hmm. that are a liability. Mm-hmm. And then look at whether where I'm at now or where I could be tomorrow in terms of roles and more consciously direct my career journey to become more well-rounded mm -hmm. be more specific, you know, be more maybe obsessed mm -hmm. about creating value for myself by having those, that clarity around what I need to work on. I think so, and generally speaking, what we do not have on our side is time. So I understand the this trajectory of polyvalent learning. It requires decades. Yeah. And that's why the sooner we realize where is the uh, path of ambition, mm -hmm. What do I want to be? Do I want to be a, a product manager and be the best at it? Do I want to be the guru of performance marketing? 
understanding that tomorrow AI might replace you entirely. Now what? Or do I want to be somebody who is occupies again a different rung in the ladder of value? The choices I make today will illuminate um, future choices about where do I go to work? You know, what is the right career path? It may not be the shiny Fortune 500 that offers you um, a slightly heavier stock business card that you can show off with your friends. It and may I, be the smaller company. And I think you're speaking to, you know, when I, when I talk to others in the industry, when I talk to my team, mm. there is absolutely this, I think we, I mean, I was there, right? It's hard to say, it's easy to say, here's the next opportunity, I'm going to take it because it offers maybe better perks, maybe offers a better title, maybe it's the right location, which mm -hmm. is different than actively deciding how to swim within the current mm -hmm. and which path I want to take, which narrow lane I want to follow. Um, and only then once I understand where I'm going and where I want to be in some way specialized in, what mm -hmm. area I want to own, mm -hmm. that there are gaps within that context to be completed. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's go back to the issue of time, right? So obviously we talked about the fact that it takes many years um, for you to acquire this um, uh, trivial pursuit, you know, mm -hmm. little wheel. Um, it also is about depth, right? As to your point, uh, it takes time. And I would say, is it one business cycle enough to be proficient with, within branding? Probably not. So it, it takes time because you need to be exposed intentionally to different areas and spend enough business cycles to fail mm -hmm. and to understand that's the difference between expertise and experience. And I, I work, we all work with very young, motivated people and you know, uh, I think it's the greatest generation in terms of potential. They they are not straddling the big techs and the big data. They understand this innately more than us, all farts in that in that space. But yes. at the same time, they are overvaluing expertise mm -hmm. over experience. This is problematic or could be problematic because it. I see all the time. You see it too when we look at resumes where you see the tenure in mid-career to be too short. I question, my first question is, what have you learned, right, in that, in that particular time? So having enough patience to sit in a job and to raise your hand to acquire responsibilities that will make your life more uncomfortable, right, but will expose you to areas that later on in your career will be essential mm -hmm. is, what have you done during your your summers? You know, like if I can, you know, refer to the 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 French poet, right? You know, the cicada and, and the ant story, where the cicada was yes. strumming all summer long, and the ant was stashing away. Right, and winter comes, the cicada's like freezing to death, and and the ant. The moral of the story is like where you put your time really, really matters, right? For being how to, how prepared you're gonna be in the future. And I think this is the message is like, realize now that the role of marketing is changing and, and not, I'm not referring to AI, but it's changing mm -hmm. and it's changing rapidly. And you are now on a trajectory where you need to uh, control where you're gonna go. 
So the assumption that it takes time, the assumption that you have to t- you have to go deeper, the assumption that you have to raise your hand to acquire areas of expertise and experience, they might not be initially thought as a good fit for you, the mm-hmm. marketer. Supply chain, um, logistics, data systems, mm-hmm. platforms, um, data analytics, you know. But there's a CDO for that, there's a CTO for that. Okay, you know, but that role is changing too. Mm-hmm. And so what are you doing to become a more rounded marketer? Especially because, as you noticed, we all noticed. So 2005 was the big data revolution. Everybody was hyper-focused on data systems and tech. Uh, the opportunities seem endless, right? And then all of a sudden, they realize that we have more data that we can possibly do whatever we I want. Call it with, right? Mountains of data, right? And then what was lacking was really bringing the data together to create value for the consumer. So if you remember, it wasn't that long ago, the boom of the CXO came onto place. It's not about data only; it's about the experience, right? And that was a, another step towards customer centricity, which is great. And data is absolutely necessary for you to be competitive in the data centricity because only through granular data you're able to create a holistic experience with your brand or your mm-hmm. product that creates returning value, LTV. Um, but that's, again, if everybody now sh- starts shifting towards experience, what's going to be the next the next evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of marketers branded themselves CXOs. Now there's another shift, which companies are realizing that integration is missing, not outward integration, inside the organization mm-hmm. integrations. There are silos that are hindering the potential growth. Teams, data, systems. Yeah, there are all these- Methodologies. In the C-suite itself, these people are not talking to each other. They have competing budgets. They have competing priorities. They um, segregate their own teams. Sometimes in the most toxic environments, you're prohibited to talk with another team, right? Companies are realizing this. I was reading a survey a few weeks ago. 53% of CEOs, you know, uh, really put their top priority on growth. And you would think like only 53%. (laughs) But the growth comes to integration. And this is a realization that is coming more and more. At the center of that integration, who of all the C-suites leaders is best positioned to do that broad bird's eye view? You think it's a marketing leader? I do think it's the marketing leader. That was a bit of a leading question. Yes. And I do feel that the next evolution is something that is um, of integration, but towards the eye of growth strategy. So the reason why the centrality of the customer uh, is the critical ingredient for growth is because all of our interactions of all the teams revolve around the consumer. We've known this since the beginning of Mm -hmm. marketing as a science. You know, uh, customer centricity is not a new concept in marketing, but has been, we've been distracted, you know, over and over. So right now, if I'm looking at making the jump from a a well-rounded marketing, chief marketing officer Mm -hmm. into this chief strategy, CSO, or this new hip term, the CGO, the chief growth officer, uh, what are the skill set that I do need 
you know, and they becoming more soft skills than hard skills. So we are de-emphasizing the technical expertise versus like conflict resolution, culture change, change management. Very difficult. Um, this seems difficult because on the one hand, it's it's almost like we're talking about the marketing leader looking at a bunch of Lego puzzle pieces. And these pieces are on the table and there's maybe data pieces, technology pieces, marketing, advertising, creative, product market fit, my team, who my customer is, where is my brand going? So you have this multifaceted Rubik's cube and you need to put it all together. I remember you told me a while back that the role of marketing is to create markets, which I really liked because it was so simple. So what market are you ser serving? So there is this integration piece. And at the same time, you're sharing that growth is important. Mm. It is always important. That drives the stock price, that drives, drives profit, that drives sustainability. It drives many things. You have to keep on growing. Mm -hmm. So you have this very hardcore numerical way of judging my performance, which is growth. And there's this almost under the waterline, a little invisible, mm. need to integrate. Mm. Was there time in the past where this clicked for you? Is this something that has been slowly building up over the last 20 years of your career? Or was it a defining moment where you realize that this philosophy is absolutely existentially important to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, first off, you, you mentioned something um, that I think we should get into a little bit of time again, right? Um, the pressure on growth has been so far interpreted as deliver the best performance in the shortest amount of time, number, uh, amount of time. Yes. And this has put pressure on marketers. I mean, I think it's overwhelming pressure. It's overwhelming almost crashing pressure. sometimes. I do believe that it's more and more so that CEOs are now realizing that it will take time to carve out an integrative growth strategies. But there is no time, Francesco. There is time if you make it, again, going back to the choice, right? Um, this is also has been a contributing factor. Uh, elongating the time frame of strategic growth is essential. I don't think it's a question of whether we should be elongating the framework of uh, growth. It's whether we have the uh, elements that allow us to do it. Um, let me give you an example. Right now, um, I don't think you can do any type of integrations, assuming that you are stepping into a role where there's silos and then you have to integrate them. Um, from a change management perspective, auditing, discovery, transformation planning, road mapping, investment, which are not right away, right? Mm -hmm. um, it takes uh, five years, I, I think on average, you know, to do transformation. But if I may stop you, I, I shared with you, you know, we won't talk about details that I was on a call with a, a marketing department the other day and their chief growth officer, to your point, was let go after I think about a year and here we are talking about five years. That seems very luxurious. Yeah, and the, the problem is that 
and this is a complete arbitrary estimation. They're, they're, it's they're, definitely more than a year. It's definitely more than a year. Yes. I would say at least two year cycles, right? At least two, right? To to integrate two and full to cycles. Yeah. yeah. To First, truly transform. I mean, honestly, even two cycles is is too short. You know, um, unless you are like a veteran and you know exactly what to do, which is not exactly what we are right now in terms of integrating. Um, the first year you learn, the second year you practice and fail, mm -hmm. the third year you refine, right? So that. you really start looking at real value of integration. Maybe year four. Year four. So the average tenure of a CMO, I don't have data on the CGO, the CSO, but you know, and there's so many sources out there, but mm -hmm. it goes anywhere between, I think 18, 18 months and four years. So you understand that, you know, we already have a problem, you know, in, in, in time. But go back to my personal experience, because I also want to be careful not to <clears throat> universalize my experience with what's out there. I started my career making a lot of 90 degree turns. Um, initially, this was very scary and, and anguishing for me because um, it's like rebooting. Rebooting, mm -hmm. rebooting. Where am I going? So reinventing I, yourself? Yeah, well, I started my career in Italy, actually, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a doctor. I come from a family of doctors, so I went to med school. I never knew that. There you go. And, you know, I I studied, um, and before that, I studied the classics. You know, like, so I, I spent a lot of time studying stuff that's it's complete, not completely useful, let me just be kinder today. But then I went to med school, and then I came to the United States. I didn't want to do finish med school too long. I'm not gonna bore you with that. And when I was in, in med school, I started to get interested in uh, some uh, IT or you know data science. You know, so I came to the United States at the business school here mm -hmm. and marketing um, and and computer information systems. And so then I had for a little bit a career in as a developer, as a mm -hmm. software developer, as a coder, right? And then we went into I went into web architect and and all the other things. Then completely random, uh, a change to, mar to product marketing. Mm -hmm. That was my my um, christening as a marketer. Was right? that conscious or did you jump in an opportunity that revealed Jump an opportunity. It was an Italian company, manufacturing company. I spent almost a decade there. I loved the idea of being able to work, you know, in marketing, you know, uh, and I fell in love with, with product marketing, right? Mm -hmm. That opportunity opened up something that I wasn't expecting. So that company had a particular ethos of making sure that everybody in the company was really, really savvy about the products, which mm -hmm. I think it's a good idea, right? So as I was onboarded, again, this 20 something year old, you know, um, knowing nothing about product marketing, uh, other than being a consumer, which is a little bit like what people want to go into social media, is like, I consume social media. Uh, so I went there and they made me spend three, they, they flew me to Italy. And they made me uh, stay three weeks just looking at the factories. And I loved it. I loved understanding deeply how a product that I would later on be in charge of selling and marketing, how does that work? And I was telling you in another with this chat that I, that wasn't a conscious choice, but I later realized that that was critical for my growth. Understanding the micro to infer the macro. Right, understanding, anticipating where consumer value through benefits of a product might lie mm -hmm. dormant, and that's critical in product design and product, you know. But I think if you stop, if you stop and only focus on one thing, then you miss that type of connection. 
I later on was given opportunities to develop markets, open markets, uh, or help develop markets in Latin America and other parts, you know, parts of the world. I flew many times to China to give the big retailers tours of the factories. And I started, and I needed to talk about, you know, social audits, mm -hmm. you know, and legal issues and walk them through contracts or walk them through a factory audit and I let them understand how our product was superior. Is that really necessary for a product mar marketer? I think it is. Is that really happening today? I'm not sure, right? Before we continue with the episode, just a quick interruption. I spoke about all of us having first world problems. You know, I often talk about pumpkin lattes not being exactly the kind of pumpkin and spice that I want them to be. And I feel very lucky and very grateful that these are the things that I think about sometimes. And I also have access to amazing first world healthcare, but much of the world has no access to any healthcare. So please consider going to pih.org and donate to their cause. Now, back to the podcast. What I'm hearing is that because you either had the opportunity or you created, and I think it's both, those opportunities for yourself, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously, but because you were willing mm. to get outside of your own personal comfort zone as a aspiring physician, then developer, then product marketer, now marketing leader. If I go back to where we started, you somehow naturally were willing to go broad and maybe you have built up confidence to also sometimes go deep. Every time go deep. And that depth is maybe an anchor that allows you to be successful in mm -hmm. the different roles that you have taken on. You were at UNICEF several years ago. Mm -hmm. Now you're leading many transformative projects with Partner in Health, which Partners in Health ha have an amazing mission mm -hmm. that they want to deliver. Mm -hmm. And maybe that really has shaped your point of view that in order to create transformational change, mm -hmm. which as the cliche goes, requires transformational effort, but does, that does require a certain amount of obsession to create that amount of value yes. around having that longer runway. And what I'm almost hearing is that unless I, as a marketing leader, have the right, maybe I need to fight for it, maybe I need to create it for myself. But if I truly am put in a position where I have some big, hairy, audacious goals to meet, mm -hmm. or I'm bringing in to completely change the team, or the, t the product is going, that the brand is going through huge change, or the market is really changing around me, mm -hmm. for the board, the CEO, the CFO to ask of me to create transformation mm -hmm. within a year or 18 months is a little ridiculous. And maybe ridiculous. we should be honest about that. Yes, I agree. I mean, uh, again, this is that was my journey, right? And mm -hmm. it went on to, I, I was for for almost four years, I was the head of marketing and strategic planning for Moleskin here in the US. Moleskin yes. is the notebook company, right? Total niche company, brand obsessed. Um, where a company where brand hmm. um, conceptually determined, at least when I was there, um, determined product development with some pretty glaring failures in, the, in that effort, you know, in, from a practicality perspective, right? Regardless. Uh, successful company, wonderful company, great story. Um, I learned a lot um, 
in terms of branding and the power of you know obsessive branding from that company. And that is again for me is another of those little trivial pursuit things. Now, do, am I a branding expert? Of course not. But I have seen and I've worked and I've and I've failed in challenges about branding, right? Or you know, name it, trade marketing, you know, PR. You know, I've either done the job or super, supervised closely people that were doing the job. The point is that we should be asking for that. We should be seeking that intentionally. So if somebody ask, asks me, what opportunity do I go after? Mm -hmm. And usually it's like, do I go for the small company? Do I go for the big company? Do I go for a lateral move, you know, because I cannot grow here? What, how do I get there? And the question inevitably is, what do I need to be higher in this position? So can you share a recent example where you were able to apply your developer, product marketer, brand expert, maybe product placement, data expertise, technology expertise, all of that to a situation that was a little tough. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something that happened in your current role, maybe in the past. What happened and how did this ability to look at different facets of the role and be a little deep mm -hmm. in each area enabled you to actually, again, thrive and succeed in that specific situation? I mean, there's many examples. I mean, I find myself very often reflecting, thank God I had this opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and it's gratitude, you know, gratitude to the mentors and the leaders that allow, afforded me that opportunity. But it happens m more times than you can think of where you actually have to draw from past experiences and, and expertise mm -hmm but also experience, I've done this, you know, like when I speak to my team, my digital team, right? And I speak within the digital team to uh, a web developer. Now I have not coded in 20 years mm -hmm. or 15 years. I have no idea what language they code into, right? I stopped at ASPX and other fun languages that I don't think exist anymore, but, but I know the language. I know the challenges of coding. I know the timelines. I know the efficiency that can be gained. Mm -hmm. I know what the pitfalls are because they were my pitfalls, you know? And I faked it until I made it for a long time. I remember the anxiety of uh, telling my boss at a development company, no problem, I got this module down and having no idea on how to do an XML parent-child, you know, you know, and learning as I go with the clock ticking, you mm -hmm. know, because I had eight hours to develop a module that I had no idea how to do it. And again, that happens, right? But to me, the point is, how are we drawing for these opportunities? I remember I had dinner, lunch, a few weeks ago with one of my initial mentors, right? In this, the same Italian company. And again, I was nobody. Right, I was just like, okay, go and you know fetch the coffee, right? Well, a little bit more than that, but okay, go and take the prices of the... But he sat with me after hours, right, uh, in his office to explain to me how a P&L worked and explain to me how do we come up with pricing, right? And getting mad at me because I would never get the right, you know, formula, you know, and correcting my Excel sheets when we're doing pricing for positioning for our whole product line. Now he was the EVP of sales and marketing. Why would he spend time to speak to a junior product manager to teach that person 
the complexities of price setting. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I did it. Uh, it was generous, I guess, as a mentor. But I've used that so many times. Later on, I found myself in the positions of having to determine um, the right positioning, branding, product features, product launch, communication mm -hmm. plan, pricing, tariffs. How much have I learned about tariffs? And why would a, you know, a marketer need to know about tariffs? Well, when I was in charge of creating uh, a price list for the Brazilian market, where your tariffs change every month, where your inflation changes your pricing, right? In reais. That came in handy. Um, is there something that you can take on to build that holistic view of growth? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm getting at. And at this stage, I don't need to be the expert because we hire smarter people to do that for us. But I need to provide a vision of integration. I need to tell people that have been in their uh, cocoon mm -hmm. how their work connects to others. And that's easier when you have been in those roles, have been exposed to those roles previously. I mean, it almost sounds like you at least know what questions to ask. At the very least. Which I think in leadership is supposedly the thing that one should be focusing on, that this ability to ask the right questions, whether that's about pricing or brand positioning or tech stack or integration or mm -hmm. what is even performance in paid media? What does mm -hmm. it even mean to deliver a specific return on investment? There are different, many different answers. Mm -hmm. Having those different experiences, being able to see all those puzzle pieces and seeing how to integrate them together, going back to what you said before, mm -hmm. enables you in some ways to direct your team, your resources to create maximum value. Mm -hmm. And again, as I'm hearing myself speak, it both, it sounds hard and I think it is hard to do. It Which is, is also why, by the way, personally, I think marketing is fascinating. You know, that's why I love marketing. I used to code like yourself mm -hmm. back in the 90s and fell into marketing by accident, a complete accident at the job fair. And, and I loved it ever since only because it's so multifaceted and complicated and there is no one answer. It's not black and white. There's lots of shades of gray. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it interesting. And that's uh, that curiosity, I think, and again, judgmental for a second, you know, it's what helps us separate the good marketers from the, eh. I mean, there's a lot of people that are revolving doors, you know, they go in, they try to do something legacy building or however they define it. And usually they commit the organization to spend a bootload of money in something. Yeah. It goes back to the organization, especially if the organization doesn't have the appetite for the elongated transformational framework, then that's why you get out of the door because you don't have the time to evaluate, fail, reiterate, you know, iterate, you know, yeah. and, and, and refine. So this idea of curiosity, when I talk to my team uh, or, or customers, I always think about this fundamental reality of marketing, which is that, yes, 
there are different puzzles. Yes, it's integration. Yes, it's growth at the end of the day. But because it is fundamentally, to some degree, ambiguous, you don't often know that this channel, this message, this campaign, this user experience will work. Curiosity almost seems to be built into the job description because experimentation is built into the job description. Experimentation is uncertain. Of course. So is, is curiosity a way to just simply break through and have some clarity? I think it's important, and this is especially true when we're talking about transformational change, right? I mean, I don't, I personally gravitate towards transformational change. I don't see the point philosophically of hmm. maintaining the status quo, right? But in order to always be uncomfortable with the status quo, which, you know, if we're gonna use a physics, you know, analogy, like status quo is static. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want growth, you have to be dynamic, which means that you have to change constantly. And the status quo can feel mighty comfortable, especially when the status quo is achieving a positive growth, maybe single digit. It may seem like this is a good place for me to be. I'm not too sweating, you know, I'm not sweating too much. The company's happy with me, let's go for it. That's a mistake. Uh, curiosity is necessary, is a necessary ingredient to challenge constantly the status quo. And I've heard people say, why do we always have to challenge the status quo? You know, what if you actually are leaving something good? Mm -hmm. It is not my experience, meaning yes, you can leave something good, but there's always in, inherently opportunity to grow. And the moment we decide to stop challenging the status quo, that's when we are signing our contract for failure. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago, I was in a conversation with some executives at, in, 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 at Google, and they said something that shocked me at that time. Um, they said, this person said, uh, we are one blink of an eye away from oblivion. And you say like, Google, one blink of an eye, and hmm. he's right. You know, it's like, how do we keep maintaining the tension between doing more of what we're doing well and the uncomfortable space of uncertainty for things that we have to experiment with, to your mm -hmm. point, and fail. And at Google, back then, I, I don't know if they still have it, they had this thing called the moonshot. Yes. And so the, the parameter for that moonshot was, or still is, I don't know, um, let's try to find a solution uh, to a problem that affects, at the very least, a billion people. So mm -hmm. definitely fits the characteristic of a moonshot. But what struck, struck me more than having a moonshot is having what they called, I think informally, the kill team. Mm -hmm. The kill team is a team that is specifically mandated to try to poke holes into the plans I to see. achieve the moonshot. Now, if that is not challenging the status quo constantly, I don't know what that is. So even, even the biggest brands that appear to be well-established and they should not have to reinvent themselves, maybe it's about maintaining even they, they are trying to poke holes in what they do in order to remain relevant. If you're not addressing change today, if you don't have the long vision, that's why I think the mm -hmm. elongated framework is important, we are no longer in a time where you can thrive for 50 years without altering the way you market your products. That's gone. 
So if you're not doing that intentionally, aggressively, obsessively, mm -hmm. if you're not choosing your narrow lane and evolving mm -hmm. constantly, you are going to die. It's not a question. The thing that stands out for me, I loved that framework that you shared earlier. Maybe you could restate it for me, mm. which is that it takes maybe four years to create value. It almost sounds to me that in order to create true transformational change and return for the shareholders and mm. growth in revenue, mm -hmm. so that's, the, that's what we see. The fundamentals have to be there maybe there has to be a four-year four runway. Maybe there has to be conviction that the marketing leader has about that's how long it will take. Maybe it's not for her or him to execute all of it. Mm -hmm. But let's say it takes four years. Can you restate for me what are those phases? Yeah. And, and there is an emotion behind it, which is taking a stand that's long, how long it will take. And it is, again, broad and it's multidisciplinary. But it's all needed. That process is needed. That foundation is needed. Maybe it's the foundation that we don't see mm -hmm. upon which one can build a strong, sustainable brand. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the four years is completely arbitrary. Maybe five, maybe six. You know, I don't think it's less than that. You know, because we all go through most businesses go through, you know, life cycles, mm -hmm. right? You know, develop a product, you know, develop a comms plan, launch it, market it, adjust, you know. Um, so you're not going to see the full pie until you do the full merry-go-round. Yes. One merry-go-round doesn't allow you enough time to fail. And it's a good thing to, mm -hmm. to understand what you could have done better, what gap analysis you need to put in place and what resourcing plan to put in place. And so... It, yes, it's. I think at the very minimum is a four years to affect this integrative change. But one step forward, how long does it take for you to be to have the acceptable knowledge, experience, and expertise to to put a stick in the to, ground and say to get that's your trivial little things? Yes, it's not a year, right? You know, can I be, can I say that I've learned something about branding in a year? Probably not, right? And so, like, unless you have the mm -hmm. very hard complex of learning multiple things at the same time, which is what I would recommend, yep. but you have to have the discipline to go deep in each, to become obsessive of each, right? It's going to take you at least, let's say, 10 to 15 years. Of, of experience of versus experience, expertise. Right, to get into a position. So a lot of the CEOs, and I said, obviously, a lot of the CEOs right now understand that integration is the key to growth. Mm -hmm. And you, I'm sure you have learned, we have learned like this discipline that some CEOs have of only focusing their time on the 20%, the plus mm -hmm. 20% of growth. And it's an obsession, right? And they might go out of that mode of how do I grow 20%, 20%, 20% if there is a contraction period, like the stock market goes down or COVID or whatever. And then they, have, they go into protective mode, mm -hmm. right? A study from Forrester, I think it's a few years ago, a few years ago, shows that integration, right? And it's not decades ago, it's a few mm -hmm. years, you know, integration on average it produces an acceleration of growth of about 19%. That's your 20%. Mm -hmm. So the realization that integration is the key to growth will also bring along the realization that integration requires time. Mm -hmm. And also that the best person to bring that transformational change, not only will, will require time, 
but also require uh, a, a polyvalent mm -hmm. experience and expertise. And again, you don't have to be that person, but if you want to be that person, pay attention. Intentional, pay attention. And that's something that I think companies have realized. We know this, the writing is on the wall. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a mid-career now, my message to you is diversify. Don't shallow knowledge, go deep in knowledge. But also ask the question, to your point before, mm -hmm. the first question you wanna ask is like, what is your vision, CEO, for having me on board? How much, what is the time frame that you want? Are you gonna be a champion and a sponsor of this type of philosophy? By the way, that's a scary thing to do. You gotta ask for your own good. It's, I think it's easier not to ask. I know, but that's when you're gonna be like, sorry, you had unrealistic expectation, the organization, and now I'm revolving door. Now on my resume, I've not wasted, but I have spent two years without the opportunity to learn within the cycles. Mm -hmm. That to me is a worse choice than going perhaps on a smaller company when there is championship, understanding of the time and the opportunity given to you to learn these different pieces. If you are a mid-career, if you're on the top of your career and you have not done that, I don't know how that's gonna go. So there is something here about having not just the expertise, but the experience in a bunch of different areas to feel probably confident mm -hmm. that what I am talking about makes some sense. There's something about taking a stand mm -hmm. and recognizing that that will take several years to truly transform my organization. The word integration comes in. I'm hearing that as both, not just technology integration, which is where my mind goes to, but team integration, mm -hmm. multi uh, team, exec team member integration. Interdisciplinary integration. Maybe even integration of my objectives with the objectives of other leaders at the brand uh, I'm working for. Absolutely necessary. But I think at the end of the day, what I'm hearing you say is that I need to be willing to take a stand, be obsessed about that stand, be uncompromising maybe, maybe actually force the CEO, the CFO, the CTO, other players on the team to align, to be integrated yes. in the direction of that vision and then get buy-in for what could be a multi-year plan. We're not talking about 15 years. Right. Maybe it's three, four years and it does to not make sure mean, there's the patience. And it does not mean that you shy away from mm -hmm. results. Right. Because this is what we as market do very well, right? Oh, it's so tough to measure, you know? And we like to, some of us like, mm -hmm. or some, all of us probably enjoyed at one time, the uh, ignorance is bliss. The limb of like, I don't know which half of your advertising budget I've just Classic. wasted, right? And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, you have to bring it. You have to bring mm -hmm. the results, but you have to be uh, obsessed with the time running out and asking questions, completely discontent at all times with the status quo. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to understand and to be a, a good yourself communicator of the, the timelines that are necessary. Mm -hmm. If you want me to land uh, a C30 in a, in a 15 meters runway, it's not gonna go well. I love that analogy. Right? I mean, so, the, runway, the runway has to be extended in order to land an airplane of a particular size, right? right? You can't land, land or take it. off, whatever you choose, sure, whatever you or want. take off. The, 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 the runway has to, has to be the same. Most of the CMOs today, that are, I think, in the workforce today, are not uh, uh, outsiders. They are insiders. Mm -hmm. They are promoted from within the team, which poses two questions 
that we have discussed so far. Number one is have they uh, how they've been company men or women, right? Mm-hmm. Have they been long enough to acquire the, exper- the experience and the expertise and fail enough in in this in this um, different areas? Mm-hmm. But also the the more important barrier for them to be transformational leaders is that they are brought up within the culture, and they probably have been promoted because um, they are acquiescent to mm-hmm. the same culture. So how do you become a transformational destroyer of status quo? While respecting the tradition. Right. And so some of this stuff, at one point, you need to cross-pollinate. You yes. need to leave the comfort of that company and go somewhere else. Not because it looks bad on your resume that you're, that you're stick with. I actually reward that, mm-hmm. you know? But because like, where, where have you learned different approaches? I've been in a company where the approach to strategy has been radically different, both valuable but radically different. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that elongated plan for you as a marketer. Remember, this is a this is a marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. There's people with skill sets, and there's companies that hire for those skill sets. You can't blame a company if you have not done your job in enriching your marketability as a marketer, right? And so I think that is the intentionality we want to go after. We want to make sure that people today know that it's no longer enough to be a digital marketing expert or a product marketing expert or a salesperson if you have ambitions of occupying the highest rungs of the ladder in terms of value chain for the organization. And this is the same for for profit or for nonprofit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, right? But I think that is something, that is my message, right? And by the way, I never do these things because I don't think I have anything to to offer. And I do feel that there is another alarming trend is the amount of time that we spend, and we have to thank social media for this, to um, self-promotion. Um, this is a kind of a pet peeve of mine, right? And there's probably people listening, when they're listening, they will say like, well, you're an idiot because you know you undermarket yourself. And perhaps they're right. But I do feel that, to your point about obsessive, where we put the time, how much time are you putting into this versus solving the big problems that you have? And, and I feel there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time promoting themselves. And I would like to think mm-hmm. that some of that material is actually useful. Well, some of them, most of that, it's not. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, where we choose to put our time and effort, and it's nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it has, to be... it has to be nights and weekends. And yeah. I don't want to say, I mean, I'm very happy when people, I actually don't care about people when people in my teams obviously leave the work day, mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, it's only focus worse. But if I need to learn about something that is not impacting my day-to-day operation, that's got to come out of my own time. So thank you for that. Switch to switch gears for a moment. Uh, work-life balance. What's mm-hmm. your reaction to that phrase? Um, I, am, I, am, I embrace the necessity to being humans and a professional. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I'm personally, I'm not going to discover any vaccine. I'm not going to be uh, a, an astrophysicist that you know has some big invention or discovery. Um, those tend to be um, martyrs mm-hmm. of their own. They're truly obsessed, and and at, at the at the expense of their private lives. Um, this is again a choice I have never been willing to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I have kids, you know, I want to see them. And you and I were talking about, you know, this um, book, it's called Shift. Uh, yes. Talks about intentionality of choices. I don't want to hear, 
I don't spend time with my kids because I'm too busy at work. That's a choice you're making. So own to that choice, and that's totally fine. There's no judgment here. But I'm making the choice to actually create boundaries that are healthy for me, um, that are healthy for my team. And I am. it's a decision that I make to do nights and weekends if I want to learn more about a particular discipline. If I want to read all of the books that are available for me to read about and that were written by the founder of my organization, that's my choice. Nobody's forcing me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's different that telling yourselves that if you don't work 70 hours a week, if you don't ignore your children or whatever you have, because not everybody has children, obviously, then you're being a better professional. That's a myth. Only the result speaks for that. If you were to go back to some of those classic questions 20 years ago when you started your marketing career, so what do you wish you knew? It's the same thing that I that I ask myself thinking um, back at when I was in school. Learn, idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a chance for you to learn. Um, I often, uh, when, when I'm coaching or, or mentoring people in my teams, which are 150% of the times so I'm much smarter than I am, I, I always offer this advice. Um, think carefully. While you're here in this company or this organization, think carefully about what are the three bullets that you want mm-hmm. in your resume under this company section. Three. What are those things that you're going to have to learn or produce as results? Obsess about those three things because you may do a million things of insignificant or, or barely incremental value. Mm-hmm. What is your transformation? And pay attention to merge what's convenient, beneficial for the organization, what, what it's needed, yes. and what's going to enrich you. So what's a win-win between your needs? That Venn diagram of needs. learning, right, is, is critical. And it goes back to, do you, are you in an environment that allows, permits you to do that learning? And if, they don't, if they're in an environment leave. that doesn't? Leave. Get out. I, and I, I was shocked. I was years ago. I was in a, in a conversation. It was with a group of people. We were actually in a presentation of Product Red. Hmm. Um, and Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, the yes. uh, media mogul, of course. was giving a presentation. And as you know, you know, if you know him, everybody knows his style is pretty brash and, you know, like can be like a... He's a really high energy. Can be a jerk, you know, high energy. But um, he said, you know, I asked the question, like, you know, back then, I said, like, what's your advice if you work in a company um, whose CFO doesn't really believe or support the uh, investments necessary, for Mm -hmm. example, for awareness generation? And he said, leave. Hmm. That's what you do, leave. In other words, and he was talking about being very obsessive and intentional in how you spend your time. Yes. Don't spend too much time trudging through mud. So so if I'm in an organization, maybe this is the way to close it off, that truly needs, because I have the expertise and the experience, that truly needs a three, four-year runway to transform. And the team that's around me there doesn't believe that to be true. Not that, I don't worry about the team mm-hmm. because it's also like, okay, let's be fair. You know, you don't want to come in and everybody needs to believe you like you're the Messiah. You know, you, we are always selling. You know, we have to sell and be good at selling Educating. the vision, right? And it requires discipline, mm-hmm. you know, to put together the talking points, to get a, a, a CEO, deepen their commitment to, to whatever you want to do transformationally. 
but they, but it has to, they have to be open to let you do that, right? The teams I'm not too worried about, mainly because most of the times I, one of my, in my career, one of my objective was build a team. Mm-hmm. And so, it, okay, that in itself requires years, right? Um, so maybe this is my experience. I, I, I rarely see uh, success in coming in for a year and a half, proposing big expenditures, uh, maybe being a jerk to your team mm-hmm. and then leaving. That I don't, I don't. It's not so much that what's useful for the organizations. As a as a professional, I wouldn't spend my time on earth mm-hmm. doing that. Not rewarding enough for me. So what's the what's the better way? Uh, the better way is to me is is to is to uh, choose where you're gonna go, and and not so much based on how much they pay you, and how much you know what the title is. And I do think it's very important, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at people that are right now in the 500, you know, top 500, you know, companies, you know, they usually don't come from unknown, mm-hmm. you know, companies. So I'm not poo-pooing that at all. I'm saying, what have you learned? What is the value? It mm-hmm. is about the value, right? And what value can you bring to the organization? And what are you required to do that? And I'm saying that I think the role is changing. And if we don't realize now, we're going to be outdated. We are quickly. Well, Francesco, thank you so much for your time. I have learned a lot. Your insights about the need to be obsessed about breadth of experience, depth of experience, and this need to really integrate, that was the thing that really stood out for me, mm-hmm. which again, makes sense. And at the same time, it seems a little overwhelming and yet very important. Mm-hmm. So it is a tough thing to accomplish. That's the main thing that I walked away with. Mm. And it also feels like an exciting challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be very exciting to be in an organization that wants to be bold and wants to be courageous Mm -hmm. and wants to kick ass and grow, Mm -hmm. but also recognizes that has to be done the right way. It has to be done over time because integration just simply takes time, takes process, mm-hmm. but it also takes conviction. Yeah, and, and obsession, you know, um, not to sway away. Um, don't change your mind too often, right? Because you gotta give yourself the time to prove a theory, fail. But if every time we fail, we just pivot somewhere else, mm-hmm. where's the learning? And I think, you know, you kind of close with, I think another great important advice for people in mid-career. Um, I don't want to say young people, but let's say people in, in mid-career. Don't choose the easy path. Hmm. Go, go for the hard, you know, go for the challenging, go for the multifaceted. So make bigger bets. Yeah, I mean, it's your life. I mean, uh, unless you are working cradle to grave in the same organization, which is laudable, not saying that it's not, um, wh- what is the value you're going to bring to this community? And that is the reason why I moved from the the for-profit to the non-profit, because Mm -hmm. the moment I realized that those skill sets could be applied to do good instead of selling stuff, I'm sold, pun intended. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I really love this. Thank you for having me. And 100%. my very first podcast. One of many. I uh, don't think so, but I'm happy it was with you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Before we all go and sign off, please do consider going to pih.org to donate. Partners in Health 
has one mission, and that's to deliver healthcare to the poorest areas of the developing world. PIH.org. Thank you.